0: God's Word, and look with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and this morning we'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans chapter 12, and we will be in verses 9 through 21. Before we get to our text of Scripture today, uh, my wife was sharing with me some posts from Facebook, and she reminded me that this past week was four years ago that you, as a congregation, extended a call to Travis to come serve as our college and youth pastor, and one of God's gifts to his church is her pastors. And Travis, we're grateful, brother, for your leadership in the life of our church. I know of no one who serves and loves and pursues people better than you do, brother. It's a joy to serve the Lord with you here at Woodlawn, and we are eternally grateful for your service in those ways and a thousand ways other than that. As we look this morning to the text of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 today, we see the Apostle Paul in this text of Scripture tell us that the gospel produces genuine love. The gospel produces genuine love, love for other believers and love for others. As we think about this gospel call to love one another, oftentimes we clearly see the reverse of this love. We see the negative expressions of these principles that the Apostle Paul has fleshed out. For example, our country spends on an annual basis 300 Billion dollars to prosecute and incarcerate 2.2 million criminals on an annual basis. Think about that. 2.2 million criminals on an annual basis and we spend 300 billion dollars. 300 billion dollars spent for we as a culture lack a right expression of love. On an annual basis in this country, 30 billion dollars are expended in the divorce industry. All because we fail to have a right expression of God's love. In this text of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is fleshing out for the church at Rome exactly how he understands them to live in light of this transformation that he calls them to in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And here in verses 9 through 21, he fleshes out for us a depiction of what a transformed mind looks like in the heart and life of a believer. We read just a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 4, and verse 19 reminds us that we love why? Because he first loved us. You'll notice in your passage of scripture today in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, at the very beginning, our Bibles, your Bible, like mine, most of our Bibles, translates. Uh, This first phrase, let love be genuine. This is the first expression or use of the noun love in the book of Romans that isn't in specific reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thus far, in the book of Romans, Paul has reflected not on our love for one another or even our love for for the triune God. Rather, he has reflected on the triune God's love for his people. For example, look with me in Romans chapter 5 for just a quick moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because whose love? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. Chapter 5 verse 8, but God shows or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at chapter 8 verse 35. Chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the incredible, deep rich of the love of Christ? You can look back to chapter 5, verse 5 for just a second, and then we're gonna flip over to chapter 15. But chapter 5, verse 5 also mentions. The role of the Holy Spirit in this act of love. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 verse 30. Romans chapter 15 verse 30. I appeal to you brothers... By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Up until Romans chapter 12, verse 9, thus far, a reflection on love has been a reflection on the triune God's deep, full, rich love. For his people. And it's based on that love. It's based on that demonstration. That now the Apostle Paul. Begins here in Romans chapter 12. Verse 9. To flesh out for us. Some practical implications. For love. In the hearts and lives of those who by faith. Have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says. Let love be genuine. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 9, B, if you will, as in boy, all the way down through verse 21, is about to throw out to us approximately 30 statements on what love is. And as we make our way through here, in some ways, these things seem to be discombobulated or dis connected from one another yet he is expressing for us what this genuine love really looks like in the heart and lives of believers think of romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 as much as we do of first corinthians chapter 13 for example first corinthians chapter 13 isn't necessarily calling us to perform a certain action as much as it is demonstrating for us what genuine, authentic love looks like in the heart and lives of those who by faith have trusted in Jesus. This is exactly what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 12. Now for the majority of us, including myself, our English Bibles reads the majority of these sentences as though they are commands or verbs. But the large majority of the statements in this passage of Scripture are participles and two infinitives. In fact, the first verse here that says, let love be genuine, that reads in an English sense as a command. Somebody's phone is going off. Miss Brenda has a phone with a mind of its own. I could, I could hear it, and I, I thought I heard it while I was reading. I, you're, you're perfectly fine, Miss Brenda. We'll get it figured out. In a, we'll get it figured out in a minute. It, it at least has a power button, right? That's okay. We traveled Friday up to a funeral in uh, Monroe, and um, Alla was looking at Lynn Bailey's phone, and somehow started playing this really loud music, and it just wouldn't stop. And so we were all embarrassed, sitting in the back of, sitting. Back <laughs> He's taking the phone out. Now, where were we? Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Most of our English Bibles translate verse 9 as an imperative. Let love be genuine. But in the original text, it's not a command. Rather, it's a reflection on what love is. More literally, love is genuine. Love is without hypocrisy. Or love is without play acting. This is what Paul is wanting to demonstrate. He's wanting to demonstrate for you and me exactly what authentic, genuine, godly love looks like in the heart and lives of those who have trusted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how he defines love. Let love be genuine. Love is genuine. It's authentic. It is sincere. It is without hypocrisy. Someone translated it quite literally. It is without play acting. Do you remember being a child and you would participate in all type of wonderful events I, one of my favorite events was every sunday after church we would go to my Meemaw's house and i don't know what inspired us as kids but we would always set up the playroom at Meemaw's house as a church service and her chest of drawer became the pulpit and we would make my siblings and uh, my other first cousins younger siblings sit down and listen to preaching and singing again and what were we doing We were play-acting love. I remember like it was yesterday, 6th grade, Bluntstown Middle School, a change in location for me. It was the year that the Reebok pump-ups had come out. You remember those pump-up shoes? You could pump up the tongue, and I don't know what they did now, but evidently they were really cool. And I wanted some of these Reebok pump-up shoes. But of course, my daddy was uh, too very direct and blunt and practical to ever in a thousand years think that buying a $100 pair of pump-up shoes was in any measurable way wise. So of course, he wasn't going to do it. But I wasn't having it. So my grandparents visited from Louisiana to Florida, and what did I do? I laid it on thick to Momo. <laughs> and Momo bought me a pair of those pump-up Reebok shoes and there she sat right across the desk from me we had these desks that were probably three foot in length two foot in length and they sat butted right up to next each other i thought i've never seen such a beautiful person in all of my life and at break i got that treasured letter Do you like me? Check yes or no. I don't even know who that girl was now. You know what we were doing? We were play, acting, love. Paul is saying in the context of a local church, our love, our affection for one another is not like that demonstration. It is sincere, it is authentic, it is an expression of what Christ has done on our behalf. Jesus becomes a demonstration of what genuine, sincere, authentic love really looks like. And as we go through these participles in the rest of this passage of scripture, be, be thinking of how every one of these are in some ways a, are perfectly seen in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In verses 9b through verse 13, Paul demonstrates for us the genuine love that should exist between brothers and sisters in Christ. This, after all, is what he's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's talking about what love should look like in the context of a local church. First Corinthians chapter 13 is not a text of scripture about marriage. It's a specific reference to the way in which we are to love one another in the context of the church. And this is what Paul is doing here in verses 9b through verse 13. Listen at how Paul reflects on what genuine love really looks like. Genuine love is abhorring what is evil. Genuine love is Clinging to the good. Genuine love is seen in brotherly love. Familial affection for one another. In honor leading the way for one another. Or as our Bible says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In zeal, do not be lazy, but in the Spirit, be set on fire. In the Spirit, blazing, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Verses 9 through verse 13 are all one long sentence in our Greek New Testament. Depicting for us what authentic, genuine love looks like among believers. Notice how he depicts this. What is genuine love? Despising. Hating. Abhorring. What? is evil. Love does not pursue evil. Love does everything necessary to reject evil. Notice what he says, it it pursues actually the good. It holds fast to that which is good. It clings to the good. Now, what is the good? You might say, well, for me, this is evil and that is good. And somebody else says, yeah, yeah, but for me, what you said was evil is good and what I say is good is actually evil. How do we come to understand that which is evil and, and that which is good? Where is this codified body of, of material that we can turn to that says, no, no, this is a genuine reflection of that which is evil. Friends, God has given that to us in his word. If you want to know how to hate evil or what evil is, God has granted that understanding to you and me in the context of his word. What are you pursuing in your relationships with one another today? What's your desire for your children? What's your desire for the people of God in the body of Christ here at Woodlawn? How are we pushing? one another toward hating that which is evil and holding fast to that which is good. Look what he says in verse 10. In brotherly love, showing familial affection to one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. You think of it in the context of your own family, your own siblings, your own parents. And there you really get a sense of what love is. How many times, parents, have you said to your children, wait until you have children one day and you will really understand what it means to love? We do this thing in my house, I love you. The kids say, I love you more, right? You do the same thing. No, 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 I love you more. I say, I understand that, I appreciate that. But I promise you, you don't love me more than I love you. And you will experience that one day when you have your own children. Friends, do you see what the text of Scripture is calling you and me to express in the context of the body of Christ? We are being called to express that same type of love for one another. That same type of compassion and desire and affection for one another. Love one another with a brotherly affection and then look what he says outdoing one another in honor in honor leading the way for one another in other words we ought to try to outdo each other in honor for every way in which you honor me i ought to try to up i ought to try to up the ante if you will in showing honor and by the way these are active in nature This is something that I am to be doing on a daily, regular basis. How much time do you spend, friend, thinking of ways that you can out-love one another in the body of Christ? We all have lists, do we not? Normally our lists are the naughty list. We tend to reflect this way in all aspects of our lives. Are you more apt to tell the manager at the local restaurant, hey, I just want to express to you our waitress was phenomenal? Are you more likely to call the manager to say this is the, the, the worst expression of service I've ever had? Which one are we more prone to do? Well, maybe I'm just making a confession that I'm the only one. We love to point out for each other all the ways that we think each other have erred. Paul saying, no, no, no. In the context of the local church, when your life has been transformed by this gospel narrative, the way that it manifests itself is in this deep, authentic love that we have for one another and the way in which we pursue others as brothers and sisters in Christ in zeal not being lazy, in the Spirit set a fire, in the Spirit blazing, serving as slaves to the Lord. Our expression of love is an act of our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing communicates your indentured servitude to Christ as loudly and clearly as love. If you want to express authentic, genuine Christianity, Paul says, "Love." Now, love is not lazy; it's active in zeal, not being lazy we saw this word zeal just last week as paul was reflecting on these gifts that god has given to the local to the local church and in one of those he says to the one who leads with zeal with passion with a sense of with a sense of urgency and as paul is reflecting on love here in the context of this passage of scripture he's saying that same passage that same passion with which you lead all to be the same passion that you express in the context of the church for love for one another. Don't be lazy. How are we lazy? I'm lazy in my expression of love when I don't actively communicate it. I'm lazy in my expression of love when I show up to Sunday mornings only and only here and now Think about the body of Christ. I'm being lazy in my love when I'm not intentional, when we are not intentional to to reach out to those who, for whatever reason, aren't able to gather with the body of Christ. I think about our brother V.J. Hill. At 1225 this morning, V.J. Hill saw the most glorious expression his life has desired Christ. He passed away this morning, 95. Pastor Larry and I had the opportunity to go visit with him on Wednesday, and while we were there, his voice was very weak. But he wanted us to read some texts of scripture with him. He wanted us to read two Psalms and 1 Thessalonians, because 1 Thessalonians talked about the return of Christ. I'm just confessing to you that I don't always do a good job pursuing the people who have served this body of Christ so faithfully for so many years, when in some ways they become out of sight and out of mind. But that's no excuse, friend. That's no excuse for me, and that's no excuse for you. For us not to be actively engaged in pursuing the body of Christ at Woodlawn and actively loving the people of God. In the Spirit set a fire. This is a reference to our hearts being stirred up with great emotion, great affection, excited to be on fire. This is what the Spirit of God does in our hearts and our lives when we understand that apart from Christ we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, but in Christ He has made us alive unto God. The Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives to set us ablaze, to be excited. An authentic expression of God's work in your life ought to be people Seeing in your very countenance the very work of the Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, Don't be a prude. Be joyful in your expressions of love. And when you do, notice what he says We are serving the Lord. This is an authentic expression of what service to Christ looks like. Rejoice, verse 12, in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in your prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. As believers, we ought to have that expression of hope that Brother VJ expressed to Pastor Laramie and I when we visited with him the other day. This word hope in the context of the Bible is not an expression of hope that you and I use it in today. Hope, we say, I hope I might get to go to Disney World next year or I hope I might be able to go on vacation here or I hope I get a raise or I hope I get a promotion. No, no, in a biblical sense, hope is a certainty. So notice what he's saying. it A true, authentic expression of love is rejoicing in hope, celebrating with a sense of confidence that God is who He says He is, that God will indeed be true to His Word. We should rejoice in these truths of God's Word. But not only rejoicing, in the context of great hope, being patient in tribulation, one of the ways in which we demonstrate Our authentic love for Christ is the way that we patiently endure through tribulation. Now, I'm going to hold the majority of my comments concerning this subject to uh, just a few moments in the text of Scripture because Paul is, interestingly enough, going to demonstrate this using the words of Christ as we drop down to verse 17 uh, here in just a few moments. And through prayer. Be consistent in prayer. Consistently praying for one another. Think of it in terms of James's comments to the church. James in chapter 5 is reflecting on the temptation due to persecution of people leaving the faith. And what does James say? If your heart is tempted to leave the faith... He puts it in words of, if you are sick, but that's a, dim, it's a reflection on faith. If you are sick in your faith, then you should call on the elders of your church and let them pray for you for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Paul is saying, particularly as we, we think about persecution, tribulation, the body of Christ ought to express its love for one another in the way in which we pray. How much time do you spend... Praying for the body of Christ. When's the last time you prayed for a member of the body of Christ and then you let them know about it? Paul says, this is how we show authentic love. And lastly, verse 13, how do we show authentic love? In the context of the local church, we're generous toward one another. We love sincerely one another. So when someone in our church is hurting and we know that there's a financial need, we're willing to partner and to join in seeing that this need is met. In fact, friends, if you were to read the narrative of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and repeat it again in Acts chapter 4, we learn that the body of Christ comes together and they hold all of these wonderful things in common and they share with one another such that there is not a need that is known among the body of Christ. Read that narrative. At the end of both of those expressions in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that God used this incredible demonstration of hospitality to draw people to faith in Christ. When's the last time we've seen hospitality as an expression of evangelism? Paul, in the context of this passage of Scripture, is talking what he says later in the book of Galatians that particularly for those in the household of faith, we ought to express a genuine love and devotion that even merits our own financial contributions. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know about Lewis. If this is what genuine love looks like, And there's a love meter up here beside me. I'm not sure that thing is ticking very high. Why? I'm selfish with my time. I'm selfish with my energies. I'm selfish with my finances. And yet everything that Paul has demonstrated in this text. Runs. Counter culture to our hearts and our minds apart from Christ. Are you loving in this way, friend? Where is your love meter rising this morning? Particularly think of it in terms of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, particularly in light of the body of Christ. How are you expressing genuine, authentic love? to the people of God here at Woodlawn Baptist Church. One of the ways that we express our lives have been transformed by Christ is the way that we love each other. But notice what Paul says now in verses 14 through 21, the way in which we love others. Now Paul, here in verses 14 through 21, is going to move in and out just a few times and not only reflecting on the way in which Christians are to love the world. For example, look at verse 16. He's also going to reflect back again for just a brief about how we are to love one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This phrase, live in harmony with one another, seems to be Paul reflecting back to how we are to live with one another in the body of Christ. But primarily here in verses 14 through 21, Paul is going to reflect on what we as believers, what genuine, authentic love looks like to those outside the context of the church. Look what he says in verse 14. And can you hear Jesus? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you thought the first... Few depictions were a tall order. Now, surely, we're ready to throw in the towel. Gracious me. I've got to respond to all of these morons around me? By the way, that's a good biblical word. That's why I used it. In this way, yes, in verses 14 through 21, Paul uses nine imperatives, nine imperatives to communicate how we are to respond rightly to those who are outside the body of Christ. Verse 14 is a reflection, is it not, on Jesus' words? Look with me just real quickly in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I find it interesting, not only here in verse 14, but throughout this text of Scripture, there are a number of references to statements that flow from these gospel narratives of Jesus' statements of how believers are to respond to unbelievers. More than likely, the book of Romans is being written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John themselves are written. So how does Paul, without having the Gospels, know what Jesus is saying? Well, one, Paul is writing inspired Scripture. But I think it's also safe to assume that by the time the Apostle Paul is writing, there is a narrative, there is an understanding, there, is, uh, there are these statements that have spread throughout the Christian community of these statements of Jesus and the expectation that he has for the people of God such that Paul understands from the community of faith what Jesus has said. And Paul is now recounting for this church in Rome who would have never seen Jesus, the embodiment of what Christ has already said and communicated to his disciples on how we are to respond to those who are outside. Notice here in verse 14 there are three imperatives. Bless twice. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Three imperatives that Jesus give, that Paul gives us flowing right out of the ministry of Jesus and how we are to respond to others. To bless means to speak well of. To speak kindly of. In other words Paul is saying. Jesus through faith redeems our verbiage. He redeems our language. He changes the way in which we view one another. Even that waitress. Who's just having a terrible day. How are you responding to her? I'll show her. She'll get a dollar tip today. Jesus says, think completely different than that. Bless, bless, do not curse. Use your language to serve and to, to honor other people. Rejoice with those who weep and weep with those who weep. Think of it in the context of our own community. Woodlawn, you've done an incredible job over the last several weeks of expressing this type of emotion to our community, to people who have been devastated. An expression of genuine love is to join people exactly where they are, to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Paul reaches back to the three words that we talked about last week up in verses 3 through 8 that reflect on the way in which we are to think. So Paul is saying a genuine expression of love changes the way that we think. Think about whom? Think about those who are on the outside. Those who are on the inside live in harmony with one another. Does harmony in the context of your marriage happen, happen naturally or do you have to fight for it? Now some of you are going to be trying to be real spiritual and say it just happens because we love Jesus so much. You're a liar. <laughs> no. It's something that you have to continually fight for. What is the temptation of our heart? To curse people, Right? To not want to live in harmony. You differ with me. Let's fight it out, buddy. Let's duke it out and see who the stronger is. And let's see who wins. How do we overcome that? By the way that we think. Never be wise in your own sight. You know the majority of expressions of frustration in my marriage happen over? Because I think I know everything. And Miss Richardson thinks she knows everything. Everything. And 99% of the time she does. It's how we're thinking. I have something I want to, to prove. I have something I want to get in over her. But here's the fourth imperative. Never be wise in your own sight. It reminds us of what Paul said last week. You ought not think more highly of yourself than you should. How are you responding to that employee at work who's aggravating the fire out of you? And they're five levels below you in terms of pay scale or importance. Do they know that you're a believer because of the way that you treat others? He continues with a reflection of the thoughts of Jesus, but Paul also writes this, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do you hear the present action of this call? Right now, at this very moment, are you seeking to do what is honorable in the sight of all people? See, selfishness says, I'm the only one that matters. Selflessness says no, others matter. He continues, do whatever you can to live at peace. And the fifth imperative occurs in verse 19 Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave. But leave, the fifth imperative. Leave it to the wrath of God. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. To whom does vengeance belong? God. Yeah, but she said something to me really ugly last Sunday. Yeah, but he hung the phone up on me. Yeah. I've heard them talk about how I'm nothing more than a nothing more than just a long winded preacher. I'm offended by it. You no, know, Paul is saying we've got to leave our animosity and our disagreements and that fleshly desire to get even with others. Leave it to the Lord. Say, yeah, but you just don't understand the husband that I live with. You're right. Yeah, but you just don't understand the boss that I have. You're right. Yeah, you don't understand the neighbors that I have. You're right. But I don't have to, friend. Because Paul isn't giving us a conditional statement to love in this way. As long as your husband is lovely. As long as your boss is kind. No, no, no. Paul is reflecting in some ways on this narrative that Jesus has given us. That, Paul, that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking of this new ethic that should... Uh, distinguish the people of God. We're not to act like the rest of the world. We're to be radically different in the way in which we live our lives and, and the way in which we view other people. Verse 20 in your Bible, in my Bible, it begins with, to the contrary. But in the Greek New Testament, it begins with a very strong uh, conjunctive, but... And appropriately, in the English translations, to the contrary. Paul wants to now paint a completely different picture. The temptation of our hearts is indeed to go after our enemies. But look what Paul says. But don't do that. Live in a completely different way. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, the sixth imperative, feed him. Do you hear Jesus' words here as well? If he is thirsty, the seventh imperative, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, Your kindness, your graciousness, will cause a sense of conviction in those who have done you wrong. In other words, the way we as believers respond to others can be a communication of God's judgment on us or of our joining with God's judgment on others. See friends, you will receive the wrath of God if you respond, if you respond unkindly, or you're not gracious. And this is a lesson, friends, that is exceedingly difficult for so many of us. Why? We love the last word. We love for others to know how smart we might be, so we respond in smart-aleck ways. And for me personally, it's one of the reasons why I had to get off of social media. Because I found that I personally violated text of Scripture such as this being on social media. It's really hard to sit behind a keyboard when I don't have to see somebody else sitting rightly in front of me and I can say all kind of mean things behind a keyboard. But you put us in front of, face to face with, another person. And Jesus says, those who genuinely love God and God loves you it changes the way we respond to one another. Why? Because at the end of the day I'm not the judge. God is the judge. And He will indeed avenge every wrong that you or I have ever had to endure. So verse 21, Paul gives us the eighth and ninth command. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Imperative number eight, do not be overcome by evil. Don't let that evil overtake your hearts. Friends, so much problems in our culture happens because we allow the enemy, we allow Satan to overcome our lives with evil. We've been wronged, and so we want to make it right, and so bitterness wells up in our hearts, and we lash out. We murder. We murder people with our tongue. Far more than anybody has ever murdered with a weapon. Do not be overcome, but look at the ninth imperative, but you overcome evil with good. A present active imperative. How do I overcome evil? By continually, moment by moment, day by day, Intentionally being engaged to overcome that evil. How do I overcome this evil? Verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weak. How do I overcome evil? Verses 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. How do I overcome evil? To the contrary, if somebody is hungry, feed them. If somebody is thirsty, give them drink. This is the church's responsibility to those outside of the context of the body of Christ. Genuine love. Genuine, authentic love is seen in the way that we love one another and in the way that we love others. But friends, this should be no surprise for the body of Christ. Hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 31. How? Just as I have loved you. and Friends, if you want to see how Jesus has loved you, look what Paul says love is. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And every one of those characteristics of love are imaged perfectly in Jesus. The question for you and me, are you like Jesus? Are we collectively friends as a church like Jesus? May God by His Spirit calls Woodlawn Baptist Church to be the most gracious, loving, kind people in all the world. Why? Because Jesus was kind and gracious to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have... Transformed us by your glorious gospel. And in the transformation of that gospel, Lord, you have clearly communicated to us how we are to live our lives in relation to one another and to those outside the community of faith. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning, friend, in reflection on God's word? Maybe you want to take a few moments and just open your Bible and read through those descriptions again and maybe highlight two or three of those areas that you know you struggle with that you'll commit today to doing a better job with. better job with and loving the body of Christ a better job and loving those outside the body of Christ how does this definition of love friends change your marriage How does this definition of love change the way you view your boss? Maybe you need to confess to God at this moment that you've not been faithful to demonstrate these acts of love. Be specific to the Lord. In just a few moments, friends, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. And maybe you here today, through the preaching of this text of Scripture, you realized that Jesus, as the most pure expression of love, is so far removed from who you are in your life. You realize that your life has never been transformed by this gospel narrative. Friends, you can never express this type of love apart from Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We'll be glad to share with you. But friend, you can also turn to a number of people seated next to you. There are plenty of Bible-believing Christians in the life of this church that would love to express to you The expression that love has given, that Christ has given to us through the cross. Secondly, maybe you'd just like for one of us to pray with you. That the demonstration of these marks of Christianity might indeed mark every area of your life. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying with you. Or thirdly, maybe God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our response be...